Hey, it's Mathar. Just a quick programming note. Today's episode is one of several that Josh and I recorded when we were just getting started and still working out the kinks. You might notice that the format from episode to episode is a bit inconsistent, but rest assured we'll start to get into a groove. And for now, we're going to alternate between publishing those older episodes between Josh and I and the newer episodes featuring guests. Thanks so much and tell a friend. Today's episode is brought to you by Tariki and Law. If you're seeking legal counsel or you're in a situation that you're not sure how to handle, Tariki and Law might be the answer. They offer a 30-minute consultation to assess your situation because not every attorney is the right professional for the job. The great thing about Tariki and Law is that you don't get any doublespeak, you don't get any confusing language, there's no upfront commitment. It's just 30 minutes with someone who wants to understand what you're going through and help you figure out how to get to the next step. So stop sitting with the uncertainty and get the advice you need today. It's easy to get started. Just visit tarigianlaw.com. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. You're going to answer a few questions and someone will follow up to schedule your consultation so that you can get the clarity you need to decide how you should proceed. Because no matter the circumstances, we all deserve peace of mind. So once again, that's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. Law. The advice you need? Minus the bullshit. I'm very different as a player versus as a DM. It's like hard for me to get into character if they're not a little bit prickish, you know? Yeah. My current character is from a clan further down on the Kryn dynasty, uh, ran away from all their responsibilities to join the revelry and become a pirate. And despite my best efforts, is definitely a uh, Jack Sparrow ripoff. <laughs> okay, that that happens. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever made a character that's not a direct ripoff. Sometimes it's yeah. of characters I've never even heard of. Halfway through a campaign, I'll start watching something new and be like, yeah. "Oh shit!" After every session, I like get, try to get into the character, and I'm like, "Oh, you know, I'm a fancy pirate." And then by the end of the session, I'm like, "Well, love, uh, I don't know if <laughs> right. you, you know." Because I watched like every one of those movies before I got ready for this role and it kind of sunk in. And after a while, I just can't get out of it. So, you know, I just lean into it a little bit, even though it's supposed to be non-binary and not really presenting as male. But this is the only voice I can muster for it. Have you ever done a binary character? Just quick question. Uh, Women. Okay. Yeah, I guess Sava, your first character. Yeah, I don't really know how to play like a dude like as a character like just a straight just like it just doesn't click your uh my challenge to you is your next uh player character just cast on just go <laughs> <laughs> no one rolls like mathar no one slays like mathar just wants to smush oh yeah just all into his own muscles bell will be mine <laughs> exactly please do that for me Challenge accepted. This is a far out game. Swords, poison, spells, spells, battles, maiming, killing. It's all imagination. Is it?
Welcome to Dungeon Babies. Today we're discussing the uh, various flora and fauna you might find in the deepest, darkest reaches of your favorite dungeon. Aesthetics are just as important as what tries to kill your players. So I'm your DM, Mather de Leon. I'm your DMM, or Dungeon Master's Master, uh, slightly higher title, uh, Joshua Ramsey. Could you be my Dungeon Daddy? I could be Dungeon Daddy. Your DD? Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, you're my DD. I'm, I'm the, the DD. Yeah. 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 Or I think, Dad. you know, we have a name for this show. Really, whoever's making the session should be the dungeon baby. Okay. And then whoever's get feeding them the prompts should be the dungeon daddy. Yeah. So I'm dungeon daddy. You're dungeon baby today. Okay. I like All that. All right. <clears throat> Sweet. We got it. Right. Intro we're, nailed. We're going to have a <laughs> format at one point. <laughs> Close enough. Uh, so what's up, Josh? How was your week? Did you get, did you play any dungeon? Uh, <laughs> what is this game called again? Did you play uh, any Dungeons and Dragons this week? <laughs> I dungeoned the dragons last night, actually, and it was it was a wild ride. There's multiple different reasons why I might come into a session way underprepared, and this one was entirely my fault. I misunderstood what they agreed on at the end of last session and prepped something else. <laughs> So what did yeah. you do? Did you just have to like improv on the fly? Or, well, or I thought they were going to go after this guy, which they are. And they knew that this guy that they're looking for is like part of a caravan, this like city that's packed up and is like moving, basically, or like a village that's sure moving along. And I thought they were just going to go straight to the caravan. They knew where it was. They knew it's moving slow. They knew they could get there. And they're like, well, no, we know they're headed to this other town. Let's just go to the other town and beat them there. That way it doesn't seem like we like hunted them down. You know, we don't want to be threatened. And I was like, cool, that's fantastic. Uh, real smart playing. I have not done anything to figure out what that town is. So yeah. <laughs> I have a name. I have the name of the inn. I have a picture of what it kind of looks like. Whenever I made my little island that this campaign is on, I spent way too much time. I made the map and then I went through and I made a folder in my notes for every single location on the island. And then I grabbed a, just a sock photo uh, off the internet for each location so that if this happens, I could just look at the picture and be like, cool, describe All that. Right. Here's <laughs> you know? what it looks um, like. And then uh, since then, I've gone through and I'm not completely done, but I'm pretty close. And I'm just starting to fill out like little details about every single spot as I have yeah. time to. The first thing I did was I gave every spot like a bar and in tavern, just in case. This one was called the Come Right In. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's all I had. So it ended up being a fantastic session. One of the best we've had in a while. I decided that because it was such a welcoming name, it was like a biker bar that people know you don't go to. <laughs> you know? yeah. Lots of, uh, you know, someone got their coin purse stolen, got it back through some good uses of uh, the suggestion spell. There was like a real creepy bartender, kind of Joker-esque, but like, Edgelord? Yeah, a little bit. Little little edgelordy. He he was actually like full tatted sleeves. Oh, tight. Uh, snake bites. Um oh, sure. A little like uh a little sleazy, you know, like mm-hmm. like this guy definitely has some like Twitter allegations against him. So my older brother basically. Yeah, exactly. Sure. <laughs> or my older brother. You know <laughs> someone's older brother. <laughs> someone's older brother. <laughs> and I ended up just kind of rolling with it. And we have a Yonti pure blood in the party, and we have a vampire. He was really interested in them because they're unique. He gave the Yonti a free drink because she asked because she realized he was interested. 
he asked her like, oh, do you want like ale, cider or the good stuff? She took the good stuff, which I decided was like, what, what, what would you call it? Um, Basically gave you like true sight. So now she could like see alignment auras. She could see uh, the spirit plane bleeding into our own. She could see things from the infernal plane that nobody else could see. She could see through all like magic illusions and shit. And like some of the people yeah. in the bar did not look like they did a second ago. Some, so some good shit. <laughs> the good shit. And yeah. then uh, so while that's happening, she's tripping balls. He like asks if she wants to see more cool shit. And she's like, well, this is fucking cool. Yeah. So he like takes her <laughs> into it. this room behind the bar where she like passes through this magical barrier, realizes she's like locked in. No one can see or hear anymore. And there are just like giant vats of like this like viscous fluid and different oddities floating in them and an empty one for Yanti Pureblood. Ew. And this whole thing happened where the vampire like seduced this creepy old dude and then ate him in the alleyway because she needs blood or she goes insane and starts fighting her own party. So like that's happening. Everybody's kind of off doing their Wait, own thing and everyone's like, one of your party where's... members is a vampire? Yeah, one of my party members got turned into a vampire. So that's been an interesting homebrew. Earlier, I just missed what you said. I could have sworn you said yeah. werewolf, but like no, vampire, vampire that needs to eat people or needs they turn on the... Yeah, so, <laughs> so every day okay. in the morning, I have her roll a d20 and she has to just roll higher, just a straight roll, roll higher than the number of days she's gone without feeding. So if she fed yesterday, she just can't roll a natural one. Oh, basically. and so, yeah, that's a that's a really cool mechanic. Like the, uh, the longer you wait, the longer she goes, the harder mm -hmm. it is to resist. And should she ever um, not make her roll, she will go into a frenzy and attack and attempt to eat whoever's closest, which would probably be your party until they subdue her. There's some other cool like uh, little mechanics I put in there. She's not like full on vampire yet. I gave her like one vampire perk and one vampire negative, I guess, whenever she became one. Mm -hmm. And they were relatively mild. And every time she levels up, she rolls a straight roll. If it's over 10, she gets a vampire perk with her level up. If it's under 10, she gets like a vampire weakness. I do have a question for you. Of course. Do you think that takes away too much player agency when like they do roll under and it's like, okay, you're frenzied, but like... Another way to work that so that then it's a character's choice is if they roll under, they start taking damage until they feed. Okay, interesting, yeah. Or remove their strength, because when you hit zero on strength, then you're like, literally die. That might be a fun thing to implement later, but I love the trope of young vampires not having control over themselves yet. Has she actually lost control yet? The first time, but that wasn't so much like a role that was like, hey, she knew whenever she woke up because she chose to become a vampire. Oh, well, that's a totally different story. They were like talking to one and he, basically they could fight him or one of them could let him turn them. She was like, this seems kind of fun. Does she have a code with like who she'll eat and won't like like who she'll uh, actually feed on? She doesn't yet. My party is not an evil party. It's not a murder hobo party, but they're not like. No one's like great. <laughs> okay. I don't think there's anyone Enough in the party said. that uh, like has that big of a moral quandary of her eating people as long as she's not like eating really nice people. You know? Man. Okay. My takeaways here are uh, vampirism can go a couple of different ways depending on the alignment or the sort of, I guess, general... Uh, vibe of your party <laughs> right but i really right. like this a ton i, I, I want to utilize it i think vampires are like horror in the game of uh, dungeons and dragons like the horror genre is a tough one to master because it's supposed to be like really unsettling 
Definitely. It's supposed to make you feel very icky at times, you know, and 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 you're supposed to be like I ran Curse of Strahd a while back, and I was not good at maintaining the horror. I gave up. Like I was really not good at because we would play these sessions, and they would go for three hours, and at the end of it, everybody would just be like. Ugh. Like that was so heavy. And yeah. so I started lightening it up a little bit. And then it got to the point where it was just less, you know, Van Helsing and it was way more like Monster Squad. <laughs> like, right, right. It was way I, um, goofy. Definitely lean more lighthearted and comedic. But whenever I do bring in those horror elements or those dramatic elements, personal character beats, things like that, I try and lean into them as hard as I can in the moment because I feel like if the whole thing is dour, the spots you really want to fuck you up don't hit as hard. Totally. You know? I try and keep it like pretty lighthearted, but once they were in that cellar and everybody did mm. eventually make their way in and fight this guy, I made each of them tell me what they saw. I didn't tell them what they saw as they entered. And, you know, I started leaning into those like personal character backdrops and the really fucked up stuff. And that hit hard because the entire campaign up to this point has been pretty comedic. So we're in the middle of uh, downtime. And so they're taking about two weeks. And one of my favorite things about this is the opportunity to use a new mechanic that I've never tried before, which is um, developing proficiencies with dice rolls. Did I explain how this works? No, no, I don't think so. The way that it works is they have to have four hours to just focus on this one thing, and it's called practice. You can do this once a day. You roll a d20 for that four-hour practice period, and if you roll a one, then the next time you practice, you roll one dice size smaller. So the next one down would be a d12. And then you roll that every single day. As long as you get a four-hour chunk of time to practice a thing, you roll that d12. And then when you get a one, you go down to a d10, and then down to a d8, a d6. And when you roll a one on a d4, you're proficient. Oh, that's really fun. Yeah. I love the idea that whenever you start learning a new skill, like you don't really even know where to start. And it's just scattershot, and it's going to take you a while. But as soon as you start to get it, then you're like, oh, well, now I can focus on this and you can start getting and it's easier to get to the next level. That's that's really cool. Yeah. So I found that on Reddit and uh, at first I was a little skeptical. And then when like I kind of did the math on it, I was like, oh, that's awesome because it's closing the gap of probability over time. Right. Exactly. And so with them having two weeks downtime, each one of them gets to roll 14 times. And that gives a lot of opportunities to try to advance that over you know, so. a single downtime. Now, I don't know how balanced the mechanic is. I'll have to see. Yeah, it's like there's skill proficiencies and then there's like weapon proficiencies that you could exactly. also do it for. There's like the thing bards get where you're just automatically at least half proficient in everything. So like I don't think being proficient in everything over time because you work towards it breaks the game too much. No, you still have the luck of the dice, the luck of the exactly. World. Yeah, I, I dig that. Yeah. Each one of them has independently kind of come to me and suggested like different things that they want to learn how to do. Like uh, one of my players is modeling their character after sort of an Indiana Jones-esque like archaeologist uh, uh, explorer. Got to get that bull whip. <laughs> and they do. They bought a whip when they were in Waterdeep and they uh, don't really know how to use it and want to get proficient at it. So they're like, every time I have four hours, we're not doing anything. I'm going to practice roll a dice and then eventually be proficient at this thing i also like that it like creates a track so then i've got another player that wants to create poisons and has been collecting ingredients but doesn't know what to do with them and so now i have a mechanic to allow them to gain proficiency in that and then you pick up a poisoner's kit and yeah you totally know how to craft poisons from all kinds of shit I'm gonna, you find i'm gonna steal this mechanic i like the idea that if you want a multi-class you can't just decide that You've got to find someone to train you in this new oh totally class or something like that. So totally. I have a few people in mind that want a multi class. I might institute that into it. And uh, 
for level they're level five right now. They just got there. And I've decided that for level six, whether you're multi-classing or not, I'm not going to have them level up altogether. To complete level six, they got to kind of go off and complete their own arcs individually. Oh, cool. And like they'll, they'll stay they'll travel as a party, I assume, you know, but like one by one, as soon as someone completes like a personal arc or find someone to train them in the new thing, then they can level up. So That's I think awesome. it'd be kind of fun to do practice within the people trying to train something new. Well, here's the beautiful thing about it is like the fact that it's an option and you don't have to worry about retconning the class that you chose or multi-classing just to gain a proficiency in something. And it's still earned, you know. It is. That's that's really nice. Um, you have to invest the time and the and the dice in it. Into yeah. It. Well, so we've talked about uh, theming of our campaigns. So with that said, what do you think the genre of uh, this build is going to be? Well, I can leave it up to chance, or, or do you want me to choose? It's going to be one of these six. I'll give you a warning right now. The genres are all pretty specific. Okay. <laughs> and they're mashup genres. So. Yes. Okay, cool. Cool. All right. All right. I'm going to roll that d6 then. All there right, go. I'll, I'll, I'll let you roll, decide if you like it, and then you can roll one more time. Uh, that's how I'm going to do it on this one, just just okay. in case. Just in and case. I have to keep the second roll? Yeah. Okay. I like that. It is a game, after all. It is. I rolled a three. Buddy cop. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't want to change. I am right. so into it. I just finished my third rewatch of uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so I've yes. got a ton of inspiration for this. Real quick. We might end up using these later in future episodes. I might keep this table, but I just want to let you know what your other options were. I'd love to find out. Um, Rom-com. Beautiful. Uh, horror musical. Oh, no, I want to re-roll. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy cop, which is what you got. You shouldn't have told me. Uh, drama mystery, soap opera style. <laughs> One is just CSI Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. The last one is a supernatural dating game show. <laughs> so. Oh fuck, dude! Game show was the thing I had in mind. That was like the we can so we can we can go to supernatural dating game show if you'd like. Um, I'm gonna hold on to this because okay. I, I like you're doing I buddy, cop. buddy cop. I'm gonna roll with the dice. So what's my next? What's my next choice? Um, so you know you're making a buddy cop. Let's get a story hook going. Um, so go ahead and roll a d6 for me. I rolled another three. Another three. Uh, you awaken. From your slumber in your mundane inn lodgings to hear the city alarms being raised. There is an army at the gates and they're specifically asking for you. Now that could be your whole party. That could just be you. But okay. that's, uh, that's where you're going to start. All right. What were the other tables? I have general setting and NPCs and that's it. Let's do general setting. Um, NPCs could be good too, but I might have enough to go off on that. So, okay, I'm going to roll the general setting. It's a four. Uh, quaint but culty village. They're a little too nice. And uh, an army has just shown up at the village where you awaken. And they're surrounding the village and they're asking so did for Did the you. story hook say that it was an army or just said alarm has been raised? Uh, it says army, but we could change that. Oh. Just an you alarm has been raised and someone's there asking for you. I am going to choose to reroll the second table, the, the story hook. Story hook. Yeah. I, I'm going to yeah. use my point of luck on that one. Because I like the Let's setting and I really, really like the genre. So I'm just going to... but Colty Village. Buddy cop. I rolled a two. This one puts a lot in your, your hands. It's uh, your wealthy, noble uncle, whom you have never met, has just passed. As a final slight towards his own immediate family, he leaves everything to you on one condition. To receive his wealth and lands, you must first... Dot, dot, dot. Okay. 
my party is in a village or they've been summoned to this quaint but culty village. They don't know it's culty yet. And they are there to claim what is theirs. And then it's got to somehow turn into a buddy cop. Buddy cop somehow in there. Now, whenever I hear quaint but culty village mixed with buddy cop, my mind immediately goes to uh, Hot Fuzz. Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, 100%. 100%. Yeah, Yeah, I was totally thinking it's got to have some Edgar Wright vibes. Oh, everything has to have some Edgar Wright vibes. Well, you know, I am trying not to be a one trick pony, but. I mean, he is, and it's great. <laughs> so it's a great trick. <laughs> I love pulling from filmmakers for aesthetic. When I was writing my uh, Curse of Strahd campaign, I was like drawing heavily on Wes Anderson. <laughs> Wes Anderson, Curse of Strahd? Yeah. Interesting. Weird way to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, for instance, when I was giving my exposition, I was like, you walk into the village, and there on the opposite side, you see a quaint but round little hut. And then I was playing like quartet music and it's like, Madam Eva walks forward to you with a glint in her eye. And I was just definitely doing this Alec Baldwin reads on Royal Tenenbaums kind of delivery. All the NPCs are just Jason Schwartzman and Owen Wilson being like, (laughs) pretty much. You think they're going to be okay? No, I don't think they're going to be okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, did you want to get lunch? I don't know. I already, (laughs) damn it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I'm, I don't even want to do this anymore. I just want to make Wes Anderson horror <laughs> movies. <laughs> Shit. Where do I start? I think one of the first things. This is harder than I thought it would be. It's Yeah, it's it's tough. You just got to start just throwing shit out there. And I think so. What yeah. sticks. Um, who's this uh, the estate holder who is transferring this over to you? You've never met him and he's left all of this to you as a final slight towards his own immediate family who is probably there as well. Probably not happy that you're getting everything. Probably going to try and stop that from happening. Okay, so I got to figure out where the buddy cop aspect of it comes in, whether my NPCs are the cops that are kind of leading the characters through the story, or if my party becomes like a Scooby-Doo-esque, like uh, private invest, like private eye. Buddy cop can jump into a lot of different genres. Murder mystery, perhaps, a little whodunit once you get there, a little knives out. Um, very knives out. I love this. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be more like clue in some regard. Yeah. Okay. So the family member who has bequeathed the holdings, I'm going to make them undead. Yeah. When they show up, the estate is very spooky, very weird. And the executor of the estate is there to, um, essentially read them what they get and then read the caveat given what they have to do would lead them to the next scene in which they are like left to view the body. Yeah. And then the body comes back to life. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Now let's figure out who the executor of this will is. I think this is the villain. I I believe so too. Let's have you roll for it though. And that might kind of, yeah, this is my first NPC. So I'm into this. Yeah. I have alignments as well here listed with them. So that'll kind of determine, is this executor, the bad guy, the good guy that's somewhere in the middle? Yes, that's true. Okay. So I just rolled a six, a six. Okay. A true neutral preteen wood elf rogue. Preteen. 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 That definitely changes things a little bit. Okay. Okay. So it's not an executor. It is a little, a little informal. It is true neutral. You said true neutral. Okay. So this is also a family member then. Probably. In my mind, this is a 
a family member, perhaps by marriage, right, who may have been expecting to be included in the will. This wealthy family member that has passed or unpassed. Maybe this is, you know, like a like a stepson. Yeah. Yeah. So someone who's adjacent to the dearly departed, uh, related to them, related to the party member or members that have come to receive these uh bequeathals and i think i want i want the party to suspect them a little bit so i'm gonna just i'm really gonna read them as like true neutral i'm gonna play them as true neutral to where it's like hard to get a read on them and knowing their affiliation knowing their like connection to the de- the, the the departed would uh make the party suspicious not knowing that this person is truly neutral and like kind of just like there to like maybe took it upon themselves to sort of like be executor or maybe they were made executor of the estate. They're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I was just told that I'm supposed to like as this person's son, like I'm supposed to read you the will. This is what it says. And maybe even they're reading the will for the first time. So they open the envelope and they like uh, read the will. sealed with the stamp. No Mm -hmm. one's read this yet. So then it would change the setup just slightly to say that like, you know, hey, you have been named as a uh, benefactor of this estate um, in order to claim, you know, your rightful, you know, belongings, your property, you have to write. It's then that they find out that they've been given everything right? with the caveat of, uh, you know, and, and to be determined. But then maybe play the NPC um, who I'm going to call Jasper. I'm going to go with Jasper. I like it. Yeah. So Jasper is like a little surprised that they got nothing. Yeah. Let's also uh, keep in mind that Jasper is not all of these have classes attached to them. Most of them do. Um, but Jasper is a rogue. Jasper is a little sneaky. You know, little Jasper. Sneaky. Also, if Jasper is going to be, you know, um, either the ward of this person or like a stepson or something along those lines. Yeah. Jasper is going to be very familiar with this big spooky mansion. Probably has secret passageways, hidden corridors, things like that. Jasper's a rogue. I think it would be fun if Jasper pops up all the time in places wherever. I I just think Jasper should suddenly be behind you a lot Mm -hmm. with new information. (laughs) Okay, so here's what I got so far. Family member is dead. They arrive. They read the will. Jasper's very surprised and acts surprised when they read the will. They're like, oh, um... It lists no one but you as a benefactor. That is, that's fine. It's cool. Um, it's cool, right? This is what they wanted. So, uh, I guess it says here in order to receive the rightful property, I have to make sure that this gets done. Ooh. Could it say, now this is just an idea, it might sound stupid when I say it out loud, but perhaps the thing that it says in the will is, solve my murder. I was actually leaning towards that. I was thinking all of this family that he's kind of doing this final slight towards lives here in this mansion. Mm -hmm. Um, You are a distant family member that he's aware of, but has never met, who is thousands of miles away at the time of his murder. So you're the only one he knows couldn't have done it which is why he's leaving everything to you under the caveat of you find out which of my family members did it and i think that he's going to deputize them yeah because he has that ability exactly 
please let this family member be a tinkerer of some sort, an inventor. That's how they've amassed their wealth. Please have him give you a gun and a badge so that later he can ask you to turn in your gun and your badge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, so I've got it. I don't want to hijack this too much. Yeah, I, I was going to say, do you want to just like turn the tables right now? And you, no, do you want to press the session? I had this idea <laughs> because really he's undead, it. right? Because he's undead. Can you somehow have him immobile? So he's always just at a desk. <laughs> like, even if it's just his head. <laughs> he's like the chief. <laughs> it's like a jar at a desk with his head in it. And then just like a crawling hand that can pound on the desk occasionally. <laughs> That's my contribution here. Okay, I think I'm getting close to uh, a loose structure for this. So they go through the town. Everything is very weird. There's a very weird vibe. It's very friendly, but it's very strange. And then when they read the will and then they get to view the body, the body is just a head. And maybe they receive instructions like on the body that tell them what to do with it. So they have to take the head and like put it in a jar. And then the jar like is full of like a magic liquid that then like brings brings him back to life. And so it's like he's just a head in a jar on a desk. And he's like the head of a cult. Okay. <laughs> like it's an actual cult or some <laughs> yeah. sort of like secret society and so rather than it being family members it's like every single person in this secret society is vying to be head of it now but he's still the head and so he's like <laughs> literally <laughs> so he's officially bringing them into the order right then and there with his godson or whoever his ward as a witness makes them members of the order gives them all a like badge that like a pin that identifies <laughs> them and maybe that's something that they see on each person that they meet in the town and those are the npcs that i'm gonna roll up in a minute and so he gives them each a brooch and gives them a gun <laughs> i love it <laughs> or some yeah. kind of weapon that they have to turn in at the i end of love it. it um all right sorry i made two more tables that i am gonna need you to roll d4s for the first it's a three wagon chase Oh, yeah, you were, we were on the same wavelength. Okay, I'm, cool. I'm like getting into it and you're already you're one step ahead of me. This um, is why you're so, my dungeon dad. Yeah, there's going to be... <laughs> the, you're going to get a wagon. It's going to have uh, like a magical light siren on it. Beautiful. At some point you are, as the DM, required to narrate the wagon going up over a bump getting a little bit of mm-hmm. air <laughs> with the sunset behind it. <laughs> I'll be sure to write that flavor text in. That's perfect. Um, this is starting to feel a little bit like Ghostbusters in a way, yes. you know, like I just imagine them like the wagon is a little bit like. I think Ghostbusters counts as a buddy cop movie in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, totally. All right. So I'm all right. One again. more D4. It's a four. It's a four. All right. This is a quote that at some point, has to the be head has to say, "Is it Griggs? I'm going for the shit." <laughs> it's and keep this one by the book, boys, with a stern look. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all, all right. right. This we're, is we're, we're on to something. <laughs> yeah, I think we're almost done. Uh, I want to roll up those uh, NPCs real quick because I, I think those are going to be key elements of like. I think they've got to get a little creeped out before they get there. And they've like really got to be on edge and questioning things. I, I, I agree. And I just had an idea that I think is fun because of the quote. Keep this one by the book, boys. Stern look. At some point, can you have a clue hidden in the bookshelf? I'm into it. I love it. I love Sweet. it. It's great. I can't wait. I'm actually going to run this as a one shot now. 
Yes. Dude, I, I, to... I can't wait to run the one I made last time. And yeah. I want to run this one. And these are great. This one oh. is like actually standalone enough to be like one of the Catacomb one shots for sure. Oh, love it. Okay. So should I roll a couple D6s? Figure out who these like uh, NPCs are? Yeah. So uh, how many are you rolling up? Two, three? I'll do two. And then if I need um, a third, I'm going to say these are like cult members. Cult members, right? Like, uh, like you know, in a lot of buddy cop movies, there's the the other partners, like the other detectives. These are them, right? So, like, roll, and then we'll decide who they are and where you meet them. Okay, I rolled a three. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, male, adult, human. Uh, in parentheses is just Johnny Bravo. <laughs> just <laughs> is Johnny. <laughs> just is Johnny Bravo. Hey, you can name uh, him whatever you want, but. Keep that in mind as you're building out this character. He, he's just running. He's just a big triangle. I'm gonna hair. roll. I'm gonna roll again. I'm gonna roll okay. again. Uh, I rolled a four. <laughs> Was a dwarf wizard, but is currently stuck as a goldfish in a jar. Chaotic neutral. Goldfish in a jar. Chaotic. He's a neutral. wizard that accidentally turned himself into a goldfish. Okay. In a jar. He speaks. I- I oh god okay so I'm I'm gonna go with your idea then that these are the cops these are the okay. cops that's the only way I can really see it's <laughs> the best way I can see to fit them in this is the closest thing to law enforcement that they have they are the two constables of the town I'm gonna say that the the goldfish is the head detective and then the sidekick carries them around in the jar right like <laughs> you, I just love that D and D lets us say sentences like the goldfish is the head detective who was carried around by Johnny Bravo. <laughs> Yeah, so they'll work together and are actively trying to undermine their investigation because they're also members of the cults, right? So every single person in the village, maybe with the exception of the ward, who they suspect first, is actually a member of the cult. And so now a big question, who do you think did it? Oh, you know what? I think I'm probably going to roll a table to decide like who, who, who done it like each time so that it's like, oh, interesting. So it it can be played different. Yeah. Maybe you get your, once you build it out, you get your like six main NPCs that are possibilities and yeah. write up, you know, uh, motivation and opportunity for each of them. And that's always going to be there every time you run it. So as the buddy cops, as the player characters, yeah. everybody seems to have motive. Everybody seems to have opportunity. And that allows it to, whenever they finally figure it out, maybe get a final clue for each of them that will tip off the party that that's who did it. And so whenever you roll, like that's the clue you put in the bookshelf that your party's going to figure out later. And no matter who actually did it, I think the secret is that they're all kind of in on it, right? They're Everyone all knows. in on it. They're all a little guilty. Right. I think it's a red herring. Yeah. Like you're Definitely. trying to figure out who done it, and in the end, it's but really, everybody kind of done. But it. you can change the mystery a little bit, or the order of events based on like who actually dealt the killing blow and how. Ooh, what if, what if eventually, like you, through some because it's D and D, there's magic. What if you actually get to see what happened once you're kind of about to solve it, like Ooh, right, like CSI style, you know. <laughs> um and what if it's all of them, the music and you just all of it? your suspects there in like cloaks in the room where he walks into and then you see who kills him yeah. but it's all of them are there watching Ooh, 
you have six distinct suspects that they can pick up in the course of the one shot, right? And they may not pick up on all of them, but at least they'll be suspecting three, let's say. Yeah. Like there'll be three that they hard suspect. And then in the end, they find out that they were all involved, right? Like it was, that's how it ends. So uh, yeah, I'd say like um, people that are likely to meet are going to be like the barkeep, uh, a local merchant, the duo of detectives, um, they're definitely going to suspect the ward, I'd say, like yeah. pretty early on. So they're definitely like in there. Maybe they're the only person maybe, that yeah, didn't do say, it. Maybe um, the ward is the first major suspect and yeah. is going to be their ally by the end of it. Yeah, I think so. I think it's like a nice twist. Like early on, you're just like, okay, this person has something to do with it. I don't like their vibes. And it's maybe just that they are not good with people, right? Like yeah. maybe they're just their true neutral nature. It's just they're preteen. <laughs> they're awkward. Okay. So one of the final things I think we need to figure out is this secret society. What is this cult and why is it important? It seems, especially if the benefactor, or this family member is protecting this word, someone they care about, it seems like it's a necessary evil of some sort, like the sort of thing where you are, you know, once a year getting together with these culty people and sacrificing someone to keep something at bay. Did you ever see the episode of the X-Files where Mulder goes to investigate this HOA? He like buys a home and he basically finds out through the course of his investigation that they have like a golem that like does oh like, my God. like kills people who don't like meet the the bylaws of the association. So we've kind of come full circle back to Hot Fuzz where their whole thing was they were killing people that made their town not perfect. Yeah, they want a perfect town. Yeah. I like the inaneness of that sort of venture. Like there's no real good reason for them to be in this like secret society. I think making them all a specific race that maybe they're concealing could be kind of cool. And if there is a race within the world that's prone to sort of obsessiveness, but they're not necessarily welcome in like normal society. So maybe they want like the perfect tourist destination. Something I thought of was, (laughs) as you were saying that, maybe each of these suspects that you meet that's kind of vying for this top spot each has a different view for where to take the town now. This guy who's been the leader for however many years, he's gone and it's time to become something better. Or we could get even more inane with it and say that like there is a brochure printed yearly and each of the suspects is like a business owner, like stands to gain from like the business oh that comes to this destination and just yeah. wants their name like uh, the front on... of the brochure. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. They just want to be the primary sponsor yeah. of this brochure. And so it's like they're all fucking just petty advertising as hell. Space. They're absolutely so fucking petty. I do like that they're not human because again, going back to Hot Fuzz, like there's that big reveal where they're like, well, jigs up. And then they all transform into like something wild that is going to send them yeah. hurtling uh, into like that wagon mind chase flayers. scene or whatever. Yeah, mind flayers, exactly. Or even just uh, not quite as powerful of an enemy, but doppelgangers is a possibility. There you go. I think that's great. Yeah, they're a town full of Dopplers and they uh, forged their own society among like normal folk and it's the premier tourist destination on the coast and they want to fucking keep it that way. Tourism would be very important to them because anytime there's a new doppelganger born, they need to assume someone's identity. Yeah. So tourists occasionally go missing here. Ooh, 
Yeah, it keeps getting dark and weirder, and I, I love it. Okay, I think that basically wraps it up. I think we're in a good spot. I love it. <laughs> what I absolutely love about this is it's not a particularly high-level quest. You could throw this at level threes, level fours. Oh, totally. Something I run into a lot is a lot of the things that are immediately jumping out is really interesting. You're like, well, my party isn't ready for that, right? So you end up kind of spinning your wheels for the first five levels. Sure. Waiting for them to get strong enough to have an interesting encounter. This one's really interesting. And you can throw this at a low level party. And this is. You could probably even build this setting into a level one through three, right? You don't need a super strong story hook to get them there. But then once they're there, they could say like, we're out. We don't want to fucking do this. But now they know too much. Yeah, right? it's, it's intriguing. Yeah. Another thing I love about this, because I mostly only ever play large parties. If I had two friends that were like, we really want to play D&D, I wouldn't really know what to do with them. But this, you could play as a traditional two-person buddy cop. You really could. You absolutely could. Because it's not so much based on combat, you know? It's mystery solving and skill checks. And there is probably going to be some combat towards the end. Yeah. But it's not so much like you don't have to kill the whole town. You have to survive. You know, And that's what makes a great buddy cop. You know, two people against the world. And if they can survive to the very end when the villain starts monologuing, you know, they pull the John McClane and uh, throw Hans Gruber out the window and that's it. Can we co-run this? for a two-person party two and two actually that's perfect if we co-run it two and two and the, me and you will play the goldfish and johnny bravo we'll decide who's who that's awesome yeah and what i was going to say is this actually really stretches our legs as dms because it's like to fill the party out you're with the npcs like almost every step of the way but you really have to play an npc without metagaming and that's really hard Definitely. to do sometimes for the players to forget that you know everything that's going on because you're right. playing the character so well i'm in I would love to play this as like a level three one shot on Catacomb with a two person party. And it's just <sighs> so a cool. leg stretcher for us as NPCs. And they're just a couple on vacation or something. Or maybe they are cops. Maybe they're there to investigate <laughs> the murder of them. <laughs> like that's why he wanted them. Yeah. They're these well-known investigators. You know, they're like a. They're like the couple from uh, The Conjuring, you know? <laughs> Maybe you can create tropes for your players and you can ask them which they like. Vague tropes and let them build around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can be a couple on vacation. You know, you can be a uh, couple of paranormal investigators. You can be a couple of, you know, FBI yeah. types that are looking into this. Or you can be uh, family members that were, you know, summoned, you know. If you want to just drop this into your campaign, I think it completely works just to take your party that you have right now, have one of them have a family member that's going to be the easiest way to do it, bring the whole party in. If you're running it as a one shot and you want to run it for a larger group, I think it could be really fun to put those, you know, three or four different trope options out there and have pairs of two choose them and oh, yeah. pit the party against each other. Like it's it's kind of pvp amazing race at that too. point yeah yeah you're all trying to solve this whoever solves it gets everything Ooh, and they're gonna have to figure out how to give information like i'm gonna ha privately hand an envelope to you and so everybody's got facts and like how close anybody is at any given time is kind of the yeah. mystery is this still dnd &D? <laughs> it's it's murder mystery dnd &D. i love it like what is dnd exactly it to be. it's a sandbox baby I like the idea that like it would start off like you and your partner versus all the other partners that are player characters mm -hmm. until you learn like what's going on in the town. Then you are a party and you're in a classic D&D &D combat setting to get out together. You know, 
Dungeon Babies doesn't necessarily mean we have to play Dungeons and Dragons this every time. Be... This could work for like uh, like an apocalypse system, like Monster yeah, of the Week. Definitely. It's a super good setting for that because the rules are really stripped down and it's heavily based on role play and yeah. it, really, it really is built to sustain like a mystery. I think that's the beauty of it is it could be ran as 5e or anything else. You could run this as Call of Cthulhu. You could, yeah, I, and that would actually be really wonderful, considering like the insanity points and things like that. Well, yeah, and like the ending, you could totally make them Lovecraftian, you know, Eldritch like horrors. Oh, absolutely! Like the truth is worse than like the secret of it all, right? I do like that. Um, the bones are there, but there's enough left open that this is adaptable to so many systems so many story arcs you can have this as a one shot you can have this something that happens in the middle of a campaign you can start to weave a greater story into this i mean i think that especially with like D, &D um, modules and things that's kind of the sign of a really good one is whenever you can grab it and plug it and change it and homebrew it and twist it and this one has all those aspects yeah it feels very agnostic in that sense um and by the way, just to, just to add on, if you have been taking a look at Apocalypse World, uh, the, the setup for it, it's extremely streamlined. And there's a version of Apocalypse called Simple World. Basically, it's like a four-page PDF. And it's cool to read through it because just seeing a system that contrasts like right, right. so much with what Dungeons & Dragons is, which is like a 200-page book of like the player rules and then a 200-page book for the Dungeon Master. You know what I mean? It's like right, right. epic how deep that system is just to look at one that's incredibly simplified and yet still offers still so many functional and awesome. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. It's kind of cool. But um, so that's a recommendation to you and also to all the listeners out there of which there are just so many, right? Like, so many. It's so many. It's, um, it's difficult to keep up with just how popular this podcast is. <laughs> if you want to see us run this, we'll probably run it on the Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash catacomb party. Look us up on Instagram or any other social media platform at catacomb party. You can find me at MathArdeLeon. You can find me at Josh is the worst, but worst is with a U like a sausage. Uh, there's a actual play podcast that we're a part of through catacomb party called favorite terrain. And that's more of a long form D and D campaign. Uh, season one is out now, wherever you get your podcasts, it's the first four episodes season two is coming soon we are working on it diligently diligently might be a, an exaggeration but <laughs> it is coming we are definitely trying to get it out there listen to the first four episodes and get excited we're putting too much on our plate but you know that's well, we've never been good at not doing that we've never been smart yeah. <laughs> never claimed to be a smart one uh <laughs> thank you everybody for tuning in i've been dungeon i've been baby and remember it's just a game Is it? Telephone, I mean.